Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Psalms of Summer as he speaks from Psalm 63 about a love that is truly better than life. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Good morning, good morning, Impact Church. How are you guys doing out there? Good? So here we go in our second week here going through um, some of the Psalms in our sermon series called Psalms of Summer. We just started it last week and we kicked off with Psalms chapter 1. Great place to start with the, with the first book of the uh, um, first chapter of the book. But there was a reason that we started there and it kind of encapsulated what everything was going to look like, like who God was, what, what did his, uh, what his righteousness look like? What is the difference between the righteous and the wicked, the ungodly? Because so many times through this whole book of songs, you get that message. David, the other psalmist writing, saying how God longs for, blesses, shows strength for the righteous. So we had that message on what that looks like. Today, though, we're going to skip a few chapters ahead to Psalm 63. We're going to be in Psalm 63, and the title of today's message is Love Better Than Life. Love Better Than Life. What's interesting about this psalm is there's something very specific and encompassing in it. In fact, it's so encompassing of the rest of the book of Psalms that I almost started with it last week. But chapter 1 was such a, a, a more direct message on between that righteousness and the ungodly. But here we're going to see this letter written by David, this song that speaks of love, of adoration, of seeking a holy God who he trusted, who he had come to put his life on the line for so many times. And God had showed up in his life so he knew he could trust him and love him with all of his life. So essentially what we're going to get here is a romance novel toward the Lord. I know there's a lot of people in here and you don't have to raise your hands because it's the, one of the most popular types of books is a romance novel, the old sappy kind, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's one of the most popular books that people write because people just love a good love story, I guess, you know, because you want to um, see how somebody seeks and adores and longs to be in a relationship with somebody and, and how it means their whole life to them to be in the presence of this one person. Well, that's what we're going to get today, except it's not going to be about a, a sappy love story of humanity. It's going to be a, a love story toward a holy God who you can trust and walk with all the days of your life. So David, here we know, sought the Lord even at a young age, stepped out in faith so many times and saw the hand of God move. So as he went through his life and encountered many difficulties, yes, David made mistakes. Can anyone identify with that? Amen, right? But God was still with him. Why? Because of his heart. 
Man, even God said in his word that David, he's a man after my own heart. He knew David's heart. Even after David would mess up and sin, his heart was for repentance when he messed up. Even though it had to be shown to him by somebody else, say, hey, brother, you're in the wrong. But man, when, when, when he was broken, he broke over to sin. He didn't make excuses for it. So God knew his heart. And God used David in so many ways. And even here, we're going to see David in a situation, not such a great circumstance. He's in a, a desert, a wilderness. He's basically running for his life. But he's still praising and trusting God. How about you? How about you? Who is your love story? Who is your love that's greater than life? Man, and I hope you can, yeah, I know our spouse and our kids and all that kind of stuff, but I hope you can truly and honestly say, if not right now, but after this message today, letting the Lord speak to your heart, that you can truly walk out of here and say that God, God Almighty, the one and only true God, the creator of all the universe, who sent his only son to die on a cross so I could have a relationship with him, that God is the love that's better than my life and everything I live for. Let me pray for us real quick before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for who you are. Lord, we come to you now and we praise you. Lord, we exalt you. We lift you high. Lord, because you are holy and you are worthy of all our praise. You are worthy of all our life. Lord, nothing is more important than you. So, Father, as we hear from your word today, Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you would move our hearts, our minds, Lord, that we would seek you like David did, that we would walk with you like David did, even after times where we've messed up, where we've fallen short of your glory like we all will. May we have a broken and repentant heart over our sin that longs to be redeemed and restored and renewed by you. And Lord, may we then follow in obedience, Lord, and, and accept that conviction, that rebuke, that correction, and walk in the path of righteousness, Lord, so that you, Father, can be glorified. Lord, that we can see your hand move on our lives and in our circumstances, just like David did. Lord, we long to have a faith, a walk like that. So Lord, I pray that we would all leave here with a deeper, greater love for you, that you're not just on our lips, on our tongues. You permeate our heart and all of our life. So Lord, we praise you for what you're about to do and how you're about to speak through your word. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have a copy of God's word, you can turn to the 63rd Psalm where we will be reading that and then expositionally going through each verse of that today. So, but if you look and you open your Bible, you'll see a title to this psalm more than likely. And the first title it'll say is Joy in the Fellowship of God. Joy in the Fellowship of God. So we're going to see there's happiness, there's contentment, there's peace in what? Fellowship with God. What's fellowship with somebody? You have a what? A relationship. You intimately know somebody to have fellowship with them. That's more than just conversation, small talk. Fellowship is together. It's locked. It's united. It's a relationship. 
It's not a religion. And let's get the big difference because there's a whole lot of people that have religion but do not have a relationship. You can have religion come in and out of a church door every single Sunday, every single time the doors open, and never have a relationship with Jesus Christ, never have fellowship with him. You can lead Bible studies. You can sing on the, in the praise band. You can serve in kids' ministry. You can do everything you want in the name of the Lord. We talked about that the past couple weeks. But if you do not have a relationship with him, you just have head knowledge. And you haven't downloaded that to your heart and, and experienced heart and life transformation. So there's a relationship here that's right off the bat in the title, Joy and Fellowship. Of God. And then there's like a subtitle under that you'll see. It says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. In the wilderness. And remember, we talked about what a psalm was last week. A psalm is a song played with instruments and it's of praise to God. He's praising God in the wilderness. But that's not common, is it? Boy, when we're in the wilderness, when we're on the run, man, we're filled with, usually with panic, anxiety. We're just wringing our hands in a catatonic state of fear. David's praising a holy God, knowing because God showed up in the past, he's going to show up in some way now. How many of you trust God like that? You've seen God move. You may be in a, in a desert wilderness in your life right now, in your marriage, in your finances, in your job, in your health. You may feel like you're in the wilderness, but can you and do you trust God? God? Is he the love that's greater than your life? That's what David's going to say here. So we get this title right off the bat. He is in the wilderness. Many theologians believe that this was the time where he was either um, in the wilderness running for his life from Saul when Saul was seeking to kill him and actually physically destroy him and kill him, or was a, a time where he had um, kind of left the throne during a period of, in Israel, in exile from the throne, where he was actually running from his own son. Do you remember that? From Absalom, who had done what? Thought David didn't handle a situation very well. Thought he could have handled it better. So through lie and, and tongue lashing and causing division among the brethren, he went behind the scenes and gathered up everybody and started talking against David. Hey, he, he didn't do that right. I, I, I could do that better. He's, he, he's not fit to be king. He's not this. Just a gossip, slander, tongue lashing. But, it, but in righteousness, you think. I've got, a, I've got a, a, a reason. And so you remember that story where Absalom come against the throne with all these people devising through lying tongues. And we're going to see that at the end of this passage. So many theologians believe that he penned this psalm during that period when he was on the run from Absalom. Regardless... What we see is a spirit and a soul of all the psalms brought into this one. That's why we're doing this Psalm 63 today. It encompasses everything that you'll see in all the psalms if you read the whole book. So, another point of interest, and this is really, really just, again, just kind of signifies this particular psalm's importance, is among the early church leaders, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. Do you know that? That was decreed amongst the early church. They were not to go a single day without singing this song that we're about to read. Pretty important, huh? Let's see what God's word says. Psalm 63 
right here says this. Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. That's why we got the oasis picture for the sermon series right there. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. There's the title for the message today. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Boy, there's a lot right there, isn't there? I mean, there's everything that David's going to speak and the other psalmists are going to speak is encapsulated right there of who God is, of of the the holiness of, of God, the almighty God and the dependence that we have on him. So let's look at this. Verse 1, right off the start, right off the bat, we get this lead-off sentence again, just like we did last week in Psalm 1. Here's the lead-off. Ready? Oh, God, you are what? You're my God. Oh, come on. So first of all, he comes right off. He says, oh, God. If you look at the Hebrew for that word right there, it's Elohim. It means of all the gods, lowercase g, you are the supreme God. So right off the bat, he acknowledges that God, you are God. You are the almighty. You are the one and only. But you know what? Even the demons do that. So we ain't got nowhere yet. Come on. All right. He goes a little farther. You are God. You are supreme. You're the one and only. But not only that, you're my God. You're my almighty. You're my sovereign. You're my Lord. You're my shepherd. Oh, come on. Do you know God like that? Is he your God? You may know he's God, but is he yours? Is he your Lord? Do you submit? Do you surrender to his lordship and his word? Do you? Or are you just playing games and playing church? You know he's God, but you'll never submit and surrender because of pride in your heart. You want to live your life like you want to live it. You'll never can say he's your God. You'll be able to say he is God, but you can only say he's your God when he's your Lord. If you look at this Greek word where he says, when you're my God, the word switches from Elohim to El. It means you're almighty, you're supreme, you're my strength, you're my idol, you're my God. You're who I follow, you're who I surrender to, submit to, your authority. That's repentance. That's salvation. That's relationship. Religion says, oh God. Relationship says, you're my God. 
Man, right off the bat, just boom, just go ahead, knock a home run. Why don't you, David? Right off the start, huge in-depthness right there. So we see he's not just saying, you're my genie in a bottle. And that how a lot of people want God to be? Man, just when I need you, I'm going to put you on the shelf because, man, you're embarrassing to me when I'm out on Friday night and Saturday night hanging with the boys and the girls, right? You're embarrassing to me in the lunchroom at work and at school. So I'm going to keep you up there. But when I need you and when I just want to praise you on Sunday morning, I'm going to bring you with me to church. And then I'm going to set you back up there. And when I need you, I'm going to pull you down. I'm going to rub you and see if you can give me some wishes. See if you can give me some blessings. Man, if we're not careful, that's how we can treat God. And that's not him. He is not a cosmic vending machine. Did you know that? You ever seen somebody put money in a vending machine and it ain't give them nothing? What do you do? What do you do? Stupid vending machine. What's wrong with you? You stole my money. You're broke. You don't work anyway. That's what people do to God. You see, somehow, some way, we've gotten this ideal a, a lot through false gospel and false teaching and prosperity gospel that God owes us something. If we put a little money in, we should get a treat. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Or, or hold up. If, if God, if I scratch your back, you should scratch mine. That's how it works, ain't it? No. Let me tell you what. We should never ask God for what we deserve. Can I tell you that? Because you know what we deserve? We deserve the punishment that was put on Jesus on the cross. And we deserve eternity spent in hell because of our depravity and our, sot- and our sinful, prideful heart against him. That's what we deserve. But through his grace and his mercy and through a repentant heart, he gives us different. He put all that punishment and wrath upon his son so that we could be set free. There it is. So does God owe you anything? Oh, but I gave my tenth, man. You're supposed to bless me. Man, so many people think that blessings have to be in their pocket. We talked about that a little bit last week. Man, there's so many other ways God can bless you. Think about this. God may bless you by taking you through all kinds of circumstances and, and situations that are horrible, bad health, everything else. But if you have the right heart and you exude Christ through that, other people can come to know Jesus because of you, and there's your blessing. I'm just saying, just this in one example, we look so much for, for money and things. And, but man, God wants to give so much more because he has eternity in his heart and in his mind, not the temporal. But man, us as humans, we, we live for the temporal. But we, God wants to get us off that into the eternal. David, right off the bat, just pulling this out. You're my sovereignty. You're Lord and you're my Lord. So that we see the simplicity, the sincerity, and the boldness of this, not just words, because let's go back to that. You can just say those words, and the words don't mean anything. It was a heart attitude. That's the secret. It was not just words. Oh, God, you're my God. We could sing it in a song, and we could do it, and you could say it and never live it. David lived it. And he longed for it, as we're going to see through the rest of this passage. So this simplicity, this sincerity, this boldness is a heart attitude. First of David's soul that we see right here, as we look through the rest of verse 1, 
needs to be satisfied early. When you think of early, you're thinking first before anything else. But how many times do we do everything else first? And then if we got a little time for God, we chunk it on in there maybe. Oh, God, I don't know if I got time to go to church this week. It's raining outside. Right? We said we're going to do everything. I'll do anything for you, Lord, but we won't go to church if it's cold or it's raining outside. Where's our heart, man, really? And not to get the legalism point, it's do's and do's. You got to do your Bible study. You got to do this. No, 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 no. Where's your heart? Is your heart for him or not? If your heart's there, you're going to want to do that stuff anyway. Nobody's going to have to tell you to go to church. Nobody's going to have to tell you to pick up your Bible. You're going to long for it in some form or fashion. Yeah, we have other responsibilities. We're busy in our society today. I'm the world's worst at it. I'm going to be honest with you. I got more stuff going on than I ever have in my life. Never been more busy. But does your heart and your soul still long for relationship with Jesus? Man, there's the difference. Early in the day, he says, if you look at this whole kind of little phrase here, it says, early I will seek. And you go back and you look at the Hebrew for this. It's the word shakar. And what it means is it's more than just early, like in the morning. It implies a eagerness, an intensity of seeking. It implies an immediateness, a priority, that this is the main focus. It implies a painstaking search for. That's this. Give you a good example we can all probably relate to. You ever lost your keys? <laughs> and, and, you had, and you were like, well, you were late already? You know what I'm saying? And you had to be somewhere and you lost your keys. How do you search for those keys? Where I wonder where my keys are. No, man, you're running from room to room in the house. Look at this, look at this. I mean, you're frantic because you're already late, you're already late, you're already late. You got to go, you got to go, go. And Lord knows you can't go anywhere without some keys, right? You can't do anything without your keys. I need my keys. That's seeking for God. We're not going to go anywhere unless I have you, Lord. I need you, Father. Where are you at, Lord? That's, that's what David's doing here. It's, Lord, I need you. Lord, I long for you. Lord, I seek you first, early. It's immediate. It's necessary. It's all I'm focused on. That's it. If you seek him, that's it. That's what it looks like right off the bat. He says, my soul, he goes in a little deeper. He says, my soul thirsts. My flesh longs. Look at that. My soul thirsts. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He is your water. Jesus said, man, when you drink of this well, you'll thirst no more. David knew that. He was the oasis in his desert. Where's the oasis that you run to when you've had a bad week? Is it the bottom of a bottle? Is it your drug of choice? Whatever that is. Your sin of choice for temporary pleasure. What do you run to? What's your oasis? What's your go-to? For David, it was the Lord. He longed for his presence. Even in the desert. This longing, this seeking. Because what? He knew that God was all that was going to 
satisfy. Nothing else would satisfy him. I want you to think about that. So many times we run to other things, run to other people, run to other situations and, and, and teachers thinking that it's going to satisfy when God is all that we're really looking for and we don't know it. Do you know it? No matter what you're searching for, no matter what kind of happiness, no matter what kind of peace, no matter what kind of joy, you're not going to find it anywhere except in Christ and his word. Will you search right there? It doesn't mean everything's going to go great and well. Proof's in what David's doing. He's in the wilderness. He probably don't want to be there, I'd imagine. But he's still looking to God. Because mm. he's his God. There is no other God he searches for. The problem is most people don't even know what it is that their souls truly desire and they're seeking satisfaction in other things. Is that you been you right now? If that's you today, man, I want to encourage you to just give it up. To just say, God, I'm trying to trying to find happiness in everything else I'm looking for in the world. I'm trying to find happiness in myself and my pride and my own understanding. And I'm tired of doing life on my own. And I want to surrender to you, God, today. You be my Lord. Would you do that today? Just give up whatever it is. There's going to be people up here at the end. I want you to come down and I want you to be set free today in Christ. I want you to know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord today. Surrender. Do it. Just do it. So, verse 2, we see David seeks him where? He says, I've been in your sanctuary. I've looked for you in the sanctuary. What are, we, what are we talking about there? Is the only place you can find God at church? In a building? So it's about a building now. Mm -mm. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that he wanted to be where God is. So if you remember, at this time, there was the temple. There was the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God was. All right? Holy Spirit wasn't just leashed out after when Christ said, I'm going to send you the teacher, the Holy Spirit, and he can be in you now. Okay, that came after Christ. Right now, the presence of God was in that temple, in the Holy of Holies, in that sanctuary. You get it? So what was he longing for? To be in a building? No, to be in the presence of God. That's all he wanted. Do you want to be in the presence of God? Do you seek and long for it? Man, if you knew all of who he is and truly had an accurate understanding of him, you would long to be in his presence. Because he's not a cosmic cop either. He's not a cosmic vending machine, but he's not a cosmic cop. He's not just waiting to zap you when you do wrong. You mess up. He's not like, hey, Michael, get him. That's not it. Take that, you filthy animal. That's not what God does. Man, there's, there is correction. There's rebuke. There's redirection in Christ and, and, and because he's a loving heavenly father yes there is some of that there's penalty for sin but it's because he is a loving heavenly father and he wants to put you on the right path to righteousness why so you don't miss the pain of the world and the sin and what it causes man that's it so I've looked for you in the sanctuary he wanted to be in his presence but let's something interesting here. We've said it a thousand times already. Where's he at? He in the sanctuary. He's into what? The wilderness of Judah. He knew God's sanctuary wasn't a place. Get this. That it was a place of life and heart sacrifice seeking God. 
Don't have to be in a building for that. Is that you? Do you long for God's presence? Yeah, I want you to chomp at the bit to come to church. I want to preach the word passionately in such a way that you hate if you have to miss a Sunday. That's, that's what I, that's my, been my prayer since before we planted, since when God was calling me to plant and preach, and I was running scared like Jonah. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, no, God, you got the wrong dude. Even inside that, I was like, heart, if, if I ever do it, Lord, I want to preach the word in such a way that people just are like, it just comes alive because your word is life, and your word is, is so beautiful, and, and I just want people to know that. But do you long for his presence that way? Do you long to be there? It's a place of life and heart sacrifice. It's spiritual surrender that can only be entered by faith, not by works. And it can be no matter where you are. This sanctuary was God's presence, not a building. Verse 3, we see this continuation of of David's heart right here. He says, because of your loving kindness, that it's better than life. Again, it's where we got the title for this message today. If you look at this word, loving kindness, it's the Hebrew word kased, and it means his beauty, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his love. David was motivated to to pursue God because he knew who God is. He could trust him, even in the wilderness, even when people were were coming after him, after his life, even when people were talking lies about him behind his back and gossip and slander was going on. He could trust God because why? Because he wasn't trying to please man. He was trying to please his Lord. Even with all the lies and the attacks, man, he knew his love. And his loving kindness, man, so many believers today don't know and experience this because they never really step out in faith or depend on God in any circumstance. And that's how David knew he could trust God. Go back to that. How did David know? You know the stories. You could go back. This is the same David that did what? Slew Goliath. Think about that. As a teenage boy. When a whole soldier of trained armies, trained followers of Christ, you could put that in, were backpedaling because of the persecution and the threats of Goliath or the persecution and threats of American society today. Do you keep quiet? You don't, you don't speak the word. It took one boy to step up in faith in God and say, I'm going to stand for the Lord. How did he know that? He gives a little kind of prelude to that was Saul. He told Saul what? When Saul was like, man, you're a mere boy. You ain't going to do nothing. He's like, man, I may not, but God will. He said, because when the lion came, remember David's a shepherd. When that lion came and wanted some sheep, wanted some lamb chops, <laughs> I took him out. When the, and then and the, that wasn't enough. When the bear came, did the same thing. So the same God who delivered me there will deliver me here. And he saw God's hand with the lion. He saw God's hand with the bear. He saw God's hand with Goliath. So now he can trust God to see his hand with what? Saul, Absalom, 
Oh, come on. Do you get the message of God's word? Hey, can I tell you what? God is taking you through something right now in preparation for what he wants to prepare you for later so you can see his hand. But he needs you to surrender. He needs you to step out in faith. He needs you to trust him or you'll never see God's hand in your life. You can take matters in your own hands. You can walk around all anxious and get all depressed and pop all kinds of pills. Or you can trust God and you can walk by faith and let him control what only he can anyway. That's what David knew, and he trusted God, no matter the outcome. That's the beauty of this. Is that it wasn't like, like it was, it was a, a certain situation that it had to look like for David. Think back to um, everything we went through in Philippians with Paul writing to the church of Philippi, and he was in chains, and he was in prison, and didn't know if he was going to lose his life. It didn't matter. Why? Because either way, Paul knew he was getting delivered. You know, when we talked about that, there's three ways the Lord delivers you. He'll either deliver you out of something. He can do that through a miracle. He'll deliver you through something, or he can deliver you unto himself. But any way or fashion or whatever it looks like, you will be delivered in Christ. There's the beauty. There's the beautiful that David knew it. So this was a natural hunger, thirst desperation for life that his life didn't even matter that his only life was in the Lord and it was natural for him to seek God and know because he's faithful and he satisfies that's what David knew you know we have sayings in our in our world says life is short live it up you've probably heard that right so if David was speaking though he would say life is short but his message would be life is short live for him you better seek him with all your life. That's what we're after. You're not missing out on the things of the world by following Christ. You're gaining everything that God created for you to have. People make sacrifices all the time for things in life. You do. I do. We make sacrifices for our spouse. We make sacrifices for our kids, don't we? We make sacrifices at work because we want to keep our job, you know, and get a paycheck, right? We make sacrifices all the time you want to lose weight you make a sacrifice and you don't have the ice cream when everybody else is whatever it looks like you and i make sacrifices all the time we do david was saying i'm willing to sacrifice everything to be in the presence of my lord do you and i have that heart that's hard i'm willing to sacrifice it all because it means nothing anyway the only thing that's meaningful is you my lord my God, that's it, to seek him. We do a lot of forsaking things in our life. We're willing to, to work, to sweat, to bleed. We're willing to get rid of things like we just talked about. People have even been known to cut off a limb in order to save their life. Think about that. Where they're willing to, to cut off their arm or cut off their leg because it's trapped just to save their life what are you willing to amputate from your life today just to be in the presence of God just to, to have life in him are you willing to make a sacrifice are you willing to sacrifice your life because that's really what you need to give God will do the rest of putting his thumb on things that need to be cleaned up that's sanctification your job's just to surrender say Lord you're my God Paul said the same thing in Acts chapter 20 verse 22 through 24 I'm going to read that whole passage for you because he really exuded this right here. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. The NIV says, I consider my life worth nothing. Right there. Keeps going. It says, so what? So that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said it right there. I consider my life worth nothing. I just want to be in the presence of God. I just want to finish the race, the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And that's to tell everybody this message about who he is. He said it again in Galatians 2.20. And you know this passage. He says, for I, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Man, dead to myself, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk into this life. Remember we do that at baptism? He said, for I've been crucified with Christ. I put myself upon that cross. I denied myself and took up my cross and followed him. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his self for me. That's it. That's what David's saying too, just in a different way. I want to tell you guys right now, you may be disappointed with your life the way it's going right now. You may not like the circumstances or the situations that you're in. But I'm going to tell you right now, in Christ, you will never be disappointed with where you're going. You will never be disappointed with where it's going to end up. We just talked about that. Because he'll deliver you in one way or another. Out of, through, or unto himself. Either way, you're delivered. Either way, you've got victory. That's why the Bible says death has lost its sting. Not that death doesn't hurt here on earth. Man, it kills family members of the loss of a loved one. But in Christ, man, it's not bye. It's see you later. There's no sting anymore in death. It's a promotion. It's an upgrade to get out of here. But so many times we don't think that way. We really don't. Man, our life here on earth is like just, just this little minute speck of sand on the beach amongst all the beaches of the world. Think about that. And we're worried about one little speck of sand. Oh, Lord, save my speck of sand. He's like, man, I've got billions more for you. Why are you worried about this one? Let me just use this one for my glory. And you get all the rest of them for eternity. That's a change in mindset. Man, but that's, that's eternal thinking. Verse 4, I'm going to rush us through the rest. Regardless of these present circumstances, David's experience was God's great love, and he was determined to vocally praise him. The Bible says he continued the, he's going to continue this praise as long as he lives. The words in the New King James were, I'm going to bless you as long as I live. And this bless you didn't mean like, like David was above Lord and, and God was like so desperate he needed David's blessing. That's not it. It's because of who you are, because you are my Lord. Now let me bless you with my life. My longing, my desire is to honor you, to glorify you and how I talk, how I walk, what I listen to, what I watch, what I say, who I hang out with. Does that put some handles on it for you? That's blessing the Lord. By us living our life for his glory. That's what David said. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with my tongue. I'm going to do it with my life. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. And you see this lifting of hands. It was, 
not only a common posture of prayer amongst the Hebrews, it was a, especially appropriate during praise, and it displayed an anticipation of greatly um, surrendering to the Lord and receiving from God. So it was, was surrender and receiving who he is. It was a posture of praise. And that doesn't mean you have to raise your hands to praise and worship. It doesn't. You don't have to. You can have that heart attitude, right? Without raising your hands. It's not the outward work. You can raise your hands and not have the right heart. Does that make sense? Even Jesus said, they praise me with their lips, but their heart's far from me. Man, that all that, woo, the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's, that's great if your heart's right. If your heart's not right, you're just putting on a show put on show but this was an attitude of praise and surrender that was signified in the lifting of hands that David's speaking about here verse 5 David spoke of a of a satisfaction here again that not too many people know about because we haven't truly stepped out and surrender we don't trust him like we should in the desperation of circumstances and David said that there's a deep satisfaction that comes with this surrendered heart and seeking God this way this desperate seeking that he was doing. Verse 6, David also, you see in this passage, thought there maybe there weren't enough hours in a day to praise him. He says, because, man, it's not enough during the day when I'm awake. I'm on the night watch, baby. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm seeking you. I'm praising you, even at night. Man, it just gives this whole attitude of there's never enough praise and seeking God. Do you praise God, talk about God, meditate on God, or thank God daily? Do you? Do you? I mean, every day. I mean, I don't mean just the, the fleeting little thought or, or you know, or even the, the, the in vain word, um, slang of his name, you know. There was a, a story of a little boy um, that the youth leader's son brought his friend to church, this unfriend, this unchurched friend, he brought him to the, their VBS, and at the end of the VBS, the youth leader looked at this little boy and says, do you know Jesus Christ? And this little boy said, yeah, my dad talks about him all the time. And kind of dumbfounded, the youth leader was like, really? He's like, yeah, his middle name's H, isn't it? You see, that's, that's the, y'all get that maybe on the way home. But <laughs> we're not talking about this fleeting kind of in vain and just flippant kind of wonder and, and praise of God. We're talking about a desperate seeking again. Do you seek God daily like that? Do you? That's what it is. Verse 7 says, you've been my help. You've been my help. Again, we go back to David's proof of who God is, and he showed up and that he's faithful. Previous times where, where God has, again, Helped him with the lion, helped him with the bear, slayed Goliath. Now he could trust him in this. And he uses this kind of phrase. He says right here in, in verse 7 where he says that they should, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong one. Which should be in the shadow of his wings. No, I'm right. I'm in the wrong chapter. Which should be, therefore, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. I want you to think about that. This exudes the idea of, again, God's presence because he's there, it exudes his protection, this wing of hovering, of shelter, and his provision. And that's what it's all about, all of that collectively. Then verse 8, he moves in, he says, he speaks of, of, a, of this, again, this relationship, what it looks like. 
We need to look at this. Verse 8 says, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. There's that relationship. This isn't just a religion to him. This isn't just a, a fleeting thing on Sunday mornings and check the box off and I'm good the rest of the week. This is what I do every day. I need to walk with you. I need you, God. David's plea and then his expectation to know that God's going to shadow him in his wings and then that he, as such, can trust God, and he wants to follow close behind him. Again, you look at the, the Hebrew word for this, follow close, and it gives the idea of gluing together, of a meshing, of a two becoming one. That's the closeness. It's not just, ah, eh, I'm close enough. That, that's close. Because look, because subjectively, your close could be different than my close, couldn't it? Right? So the Hebrew word gets rid of that. It's talking about glued together. That's close. Not my subjective meaning or close or your subjective meaning or close. Are you glued to Jesus? Are you? That's how close you need to be. So if there's any needless space between you and God, let's get rid of it today. What's that space amount to? Your pride, my pride, your sin, my sin. My disobedience, your disobedience, that creates space between you and a holy God. Let's get it right today. Man, let's surrender and walk close with him. Look at the person beside you and tell him, follow close. Follow close. And we've seen the definition of that. It's not subjective. It's not subjective. It's objective. It's a gluing together. Verse 9, David's deep relationship with God obviously didn't take away his problems, did it? He's, I mean, think about this. He's walking with God. He's seen God do so many things, but did it get rid of all his problems? No, it actually probably created more, didn't it? Think about that. So, kind of gets rid of the prosperity gospel again there. But here we'll see that those who wanted to kill him, that David was going to depend on the Lord to take care of him. For those who were coming against him, that he was turning over to him. He wasn't going to take matters in his own hands. We even know if this was talking about the situation where he was running from Saul, that there was a period where Saul was in the cave, could have killed him and didn't, but he let the Lord handle it, right? How many times do we try to take matters in our own hands and say, oh man, this is my chance. I can get rid of this now. I can make this happen right here. Or do we wait and trust God still moving forward, but just let him part the Red Sea in front of us? David was trusting God to take care of his enemies for those who were against him. Even in the verse 10, continuing, saying that it was on this throne that basically he, had, he was waiting for. If you're talking about the time of Saul, he was waiting for the throne. It was the promise from 1 Samuel 16. But still he was going to say, even when I'm king, I'm going to praise you. If you look at the circumstance from this writing that this was during the time of Absalom, we know he was already king. So he says, the praise of the king is going to be on my lips because I'm the king. And I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to walk with you. Everything that, we, that, that we've been reading through. I'm going to trust in you. And then it says, everyone who swears by him, by the Lord, shall glory. Those goes back to that righteous that walk with him. It says, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Again, it goes back to even the people coming against David. What did David think there was something special about him? I mean, that could sound kind of prideful, couldn't it? I mean, if you read a lot of the Psalms, you would think, well, man, David's pretty arrogant to think the Lord's just coming against all these people. No, why? David knew his heart was with God. So when people come against him, who are they ultimately coming against? God. 
That's why he turned them over to them. And he said, hey, even those speak lies, you're going to be stopped. They're going to be shut up. God, I'm trusting you. Man, that means in all this, no matter what circumstances we're going through, no matter what life may bring, who can we trust? Who can we trust? Only God. Is it? Because as David started out, he's Elohim. Yes, he is the supreme and one and only God amongst all the gods. But not only that, he's El. He's my God. He's my sovereign. He's my Lord. He's my almighty. Is he yours? Will you make him yours today? I promise you there will be no greater decision you've ever made than to follow Jesus like that. Here's the beautiful thing. Romans 5 eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Talk about this love, this loving kindness. This is how Jesus demonstrated it. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. He took the punishment that was due you even when you're stiff-arming him, even when you're running away from him. He still went to the cross and laid down his life because he loves you so much. And he wants to prove himself faithful to you. Will, you. will you trust him? Will you give him your life? Will you repent of your pride, your sin, your own limited human understanding and put your faith totally in a holy God that longs to show up on your behalf? Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. It is. It's impossible to please him. But he shows up to those who earnestly seek him. Are you earnestly seeking God? Are you? Like you lost your keys in the morning, and you can't get out of the house, and you can't go down the road. You can't do anything till you find your keys. Are you seeking God like that right now today? Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Do you have a love like that that's greater than life? With everything we love, with all the priorities we have, with all the pressures we have, with all the responsibilities, yes, that we still do have, but do you have a love that's greater than all of it? That you seek earnestly, that you long for, that you walk with in a relationship? If you don't, I want you to have that right here today by surrendering your heart and your life to him. That's it. You don't have to do anything else first to clean your life up, right? You just got to come and you do have to repent. You do have to surrender. That is the message of the gospel. There is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no salvation apart from repentance. That repentant heart is signified by submittance and surrender to a holy God. Is he your God? If you've never done that, I want you to do that today. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And again, it's not about words. It's not about what you say. It's about your heart attitude. But you're going to speak from your heart to God and just admit to God these things and surrender to him. If you want to do that and accept him and receive him for the first time, I want you to do that. Or if you're here and you say, Brad, I've previously accepted walk with the Lord. And, but lately, man, I've, I've gotten off path. I've deviated. My, my, my love has, has grown cold. My, the, the fire's gone out. And I want to rekindle that flame again today. I want to resubmit and surrender to Jesus, to his lordship, to make him my Lord, my God. And I want to be set on fire for him again right now today. And I want to rededicate my life to him. If that's you, I want you to speak from your heart to God's heart the same way right now. So to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life to him right now just say dear Lord right now I surrender I put up the white flag 
tired of living on my own for myself, for the things of this world, and I surrender to you, to your lordship, to your authority. I admit to you that I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of you, my Savior. I've fallen short of your glory. And Lord, there's nothing I can do to clean it up on my own. So Lord, I come and I just fall down at the cross and I just, I cry holy. Because you're my God. Thank you for your sacrifice at Calvary. That you broke your body and you shed your blood all the punishment that was supposed to be for me. You took upon yourself so that I could be set free. And Lord, I don't take that for granted. I thank you for this free gift of salvation, this free gift of forgiveness from your finished work on the cross. I thank you that it sets me free from the penalty of sin. It sets me free from the bondage of sin, but it never sets me free to sin. So, Lord, I surrender, and I ask for your help because I know I'm going to mess it up. But, Lord, help my heart to not make excuses or desire anything but you and to continually walk and be shaped and molded into the image of your son. So, Lord, I'm going to need your strength and your victory for that. Thank you for raising from the grave three days later, proving that you're God. And that you stand in victory over all hell, death, and the grave, and all sin. So, Lord, I need that victory right now in my life, right now, this moment, and from this day forward. And my commitment is to you that you have all of me. Every step I take and every breath I make from this point forward will be all for your glory. Because I'm yours. And you're my God. Amen. If you prayed that right now, you just spoke from your heart to God's heart with all sincerity for the first time or to rededicate, would you just boldly and unashamed right now raise your hand and say, Brad, I meant business with my Lord, and I prayed that prayer, and I meant business with him. I accepted him for the first time, or I rededicated my life. Amen. If I don't see you, God does. Let's give him a big round of applause and praise for glory for who he is, that he's holy, he's mighty, that he's not just God, he's not just the supreme almighty, but he is relational. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your sovereign, your almighty, your Lord. And I hope you surrender all of who you are to all of who he is today because it will make all the difference in your life. And then you could always walk and know, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the desert you're in, that you are living in a love that's greater than life. Take that this week. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.